welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. Dr. Phil Maffetone is a true legend. He is an internationally recognized researcher, educator, and clinician in the fields of nutrition, exercise and sports medicine, and biofeedback. Over his career, he has worked with top athletes in many sports, including Mark Allen, a six-time Ironman world champion. As an author, he has written more than 20 books, including The Big Book of Health and Fitness and his latest book, Get Strong, which he released in 2020. Schooled in the fields of human biology, kinesiology, physiotherapy, and Chinese medicine, Dr. Maffetone is an absolute pioneer. His research and articles have been featured on media, many media outlets, including CNN, Reader's Digest, and Men's Health, among many others. He was also named one of the top 20 most influential people in endurance sport by Inside Triathlon Magazine. It is an absolute honor to welcome Dr. Phil Maffetone to the show. Thank you, Casey. I appreciate that. It's great to be here. <laughs> you asked to keep your introduction um, pretty short and said there wasn't much going on. You should see the list of stuff that didn't make it onto the introduction. <laughs> oh, well, I was timing. I was timing you. You know, I have, I have, I have this timing thing. I'm, you know, since I became a musician, I started timing my songs, my verses, my chorus, my, you know, and, and I just, kind of carried over into things. So anyway, um, we don't have to talk about the timing of it, but <laughs> I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff I've done. Um, uh, there's a lot of stuff I wish I didn't do, but there's, you know, there's just, uh, I've had fun. I, I, I have to say that it's been a lot of fun. And the focus of course has been on uh, my original passion, which I, I started to feel um, Early on in in undergraduate school, maybe even before that, um, my passion was that I wanted to help people, and health and fitness was what I was most interested in. So, uh, one thing led to another, and well, here we are. That's amazing. It's such a cool story, and I'm so glad you talk about fun and passion. We'll definitely be talking about some of those. Um, before we dive into our main topic, I do want to talk about one of our shared passions. Um, it, it turns out that both of us are not super popular with golfers um, when we talk about sunlight and vitamin D. Um, I heard recently about, um, I, I guess it was maybe an interview that you gave right around 2000, where you, where you were talking about the importance of getting sunshine and certain things that you could do to have wise interactions with the sun. And the golfers weren't too happy with that. And I just had an, an article rejected by a local golf magazine where I talked all about that. So tell us a little bit oh, about that experience. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was actually, um, it was actually on the, I was on the golf channel. Um, the, the TV show, I don't know if they're still on the air, but, um, I had met uh, David Ledbetter, uh, who's a, a, a well-known golf uh, instructor, golf pro, and uh, David and I got along really well. And um, one day he said to me, why don't you come on the show, um, meaning the Golf Channel, which he, he had a segment uh, on, and, and so I did. And, you know, it was very casual. It was very relaxing. David's David's just you know, such a sweet guy. And we're talking about eating and how important it is, you know, to eat uh, a good breakfast so that when you get to the back nine, your energy levels are good because you're burning fat and um, all kinds of things. And then he, he talked about, uh, I, might have, I might have mentioned um, the importance of vitamin D for muscle contraction and relaxation. Um, which is very important for golfers, of course. And, um, and he's, you know, he started talking about sunscreen and I said, well, the best uh, protection against the sun, the best sunscreen is a good tan. And we kind of talked for a while about, about that and how important it was not to burn and um, so on and so forth. And it was a it was a really good show, and everybody the producers liked it. Everybody liked it. And I got a call a, a couple of weeks later from uh, I think uh, one of the producers um, saying that they have all these dermatologists who are calling in and writing in nasty nasty letters oh and my God. comments uh, about how could they air such a thing. Um, 
you know, uh, how how could a good tan be protective? Uh, well, of course, a good. I mean, this is yeah, it's about twenty years ago, um, and I think we're as a society we're kind of getting over that a little bit. Maybe not. I think it's. Um, in the Northern hemisphere, we're, we're in the spring now. So I don't listen to, um, I, I don't do the media at all. So, but typically this time of year, you'll start hearing, you know, make sure you um, lather on the sunscreen for protection. Um, uh, if they're still doing that, uh, shame on them. Uh, but uh, they, they've done it for so long and uh, skin cancer, of course, was not a problem until sunscreens were uh, becoming uh, a big marketed item, I think back in the late fifties or whenever. And, and um, so, yeah, it's, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're out there on the course or if you're out there for whatever reason, just going for a long run midday, um, whenever, um, there's so many things you can do to avoid a burn. And that's really the thing you, you have to do is avoid getting burned. You could wear protective clothing. You could wear a hat. You could um, have a tan, which is really how we, we protect our skin quite well. And, um, and the, you know, the, I, 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 I shouldn't have to say this, but you know, the, the, the thing is that we don't want to get burned. That's right. I mean, that's just common sense. Yep. <laughs> well, yeah, that's right. I mean, all of that is so true. And that's really all I said in my article too, is like, start early in the year, get out in the morning. If that helps, like start small, use clothing, find shade. Don't use sunscreen. Use it as the very, very, very last resort and explore other things. Change your diet. Don't eat any more seed oils. And yeah, I got rejected. I love the advice about the tan. I think you are absolutely right. That is the number one best thing you can do is just start early and slow, build up a tan and you'll be amazed how much sun tolerance you'll be able to build up. Yeah, without a doubt. And, and I don't know what, um, uh, publication rejected your article, but a lot of times um, you just have to tread lightly with with um, with the media uh, because as soon as they hear the word sun, they they want to put. And of course, you have a lot of sunscreen on, and of course, you're not out on the course in the middle of the day. Well, of course, they're on the course in the middle of the day. <laughs> Um, and, and so, you know, it, it's, it's an opportunity for us to educate the media because science is on our, our side. And, um, unfortunately it, it becomes an emotional issue, uh, way too often. And again, not as much as it did 20 years ago, um, or even before that. I mean, I was, I was using vitamin D when I first began my, my clinical practice. So wow. that was 1977. Wow. And people were, you know, doctors were laughing at me because they said, well, you don't need to give people vitamin D. They get, you know, they walk from the house to the car, they get plenty of vitamin D. Wow. Well, they don't. And so, um, and, 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 you know, now it's so easy to measure and uh, it's pretty well known that there's a serious worldwide epidemic of vitamin D, low vitamin D, whether whether we call it a um, a deficiency or an insufficiency, it's the same thing. You have low vitamin D. You can't be healthy if you have low vitamin D, and so um, you need to uh, you need to correct that. And it's like I say, it's so easy to test. A, a simple blood test will tell you the numbers. And if your numbers are not consistently good, then you've got to fix that problem. You've got to take some vitamin D through a supplement and you have to, um, get in the sun. Yep. Yep. I absolutely love that. That is very well said. I want to go back to your clinical work and I, I really want to deep dive today into the math method and how you came across that, how you developed that and, and how that kind of changed over time. And I think it's super interesting that it really hasn't changed a lot because you seem to have really nailed it in the beginning. So tell us a little bit about that story of how that was developed initially. Um, gosh, I, you know, there's so many different 
angles. There's so many different um, components to to MAF, maximum aerobic function, is, is what it's called. Um, and it really began in in again in undergraduate school in 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 learning physiology and studying exercise physiology. Um, they don't, you know, I didn't. I didn't learn anything about the aerobic system. It wasn't even mentioned in the courses. And I had to come upon it myself um, with my own reading of other physiology books. And, um, and then everything, everything fell into place when I, when I conceptually understood what this aerobic system was and how, how powerful it was for health and for, for fitness and not just for endurance athletes of course it's it's a it's a major component in endurance sports because competition relies so heavily on on aerobic function um but but the relationship between the aerobic system and uh and power sports um sprinting for example uh even even uh you know olympic lifting um everything uh there's there's a dependency on the aerobic system much more so in endurance sports but for sure in all the other sports as well and and that's because the aerobic um the aerobic muscle fibers to name one part of the aerobic system are are kind of interwoven among all the muscle fibers we're not like a chicken we're Chickens have aerobic uh, meat, aerobic muscles, and anaerobic muscles. And the aerobic muscles are the, the, the leg and the thigh muscles, the dark meat. And the anaerobic muscles are the, the breast, the white meat. That's right. And, and so, in, you know, it's easy to see in chickens because they, you know, they wobble around all day uh, eating bugs and um, they're able to do that because their legs, um, their thighs are well endowed with these long-term, long-energy uh, aerobic muscle fibers. And if they have to <clears throat> flap their wings or try and escape um, another uh, chicken or, or a rooster, you know, they, they can do that. They could flap their wings really hard, but only for a very short period of time. And then they fatigue and hopefully they're, they're out of danger by that point. In the human body, our aerobic and anaerobic muscle fibers, there's different types. They're mixed within each muscle. Virtually all muscles um, have both, um, except for the, the TMJ muscles, which... Um, are exclusive uh, anaerobic muscles. They're very powerful muscles. Mm. Um, but but so the the key is that even when we're using these anaerobic these power muscles for whatever sport we're we're, we're performing, um, those muscle fibers rely on those aerobic muscle fibers to bring in circulation. And when you bring in circulation, you bring in more oxygen. You remove waste products that are given off in the muscles. You bring in more nutrients, not just for the aerobic muscle, but for the neighboring anaerobic muscle. And so, um, you know, everybody's happy. It's a, it's a great um, symbiotic relationship. Mm. And you discovered a correlation with heart rate itself, which I have used heart rate monitors for many, many years. Um, I find this stuff endlessly fascinating. And I think most people, when they think about heart rate zones, their brains go to a formula that, that is not related to yours. And it's printed on every polar heart rate monitor that's ever been made. And it, it's, you know, on most gyms. Can you tell us the difference between what you discovered and, and what most people would think of as the standard for heart rate zone calculations? Sure. I call it the old heart rate formula, the old 220 formula, which really um, the only reason it caught on was because there was no other formula out there. And even though it's, it's, it's wrong, it's not accurate, um, and it's not a way to, to individualize, it's not a way to personalize your heart rate 
we all have we all have unique needs. We all have um, uh, specific um, uh, needs from a from a heart rate standpoint. And so, um, if everybody followed the same uh, formula, it, it it would be a problem. And and the what what the one eighty formula does is it helps you as an individual personalize your exercise heart rate, and that personalization is based on a number of health factors and a number of fitness factors. So if you're more healthy or less healthy or more fit or less fit, you're going to modify your exercise heart rate. And all of that came from simple observations. All of it came from clinical work that I did with athletes watching them, watching them on the treadmill, watching them outside on the track, mostly with runners, but I, I worked in, in all sports. So I was able to put a lot of this together with um, a wide variety of athletes. But in a runner, for example, what I noticed was that at certain um, heart rates, their gait would be better. And at other heart rates, like a higher heart rate, their their gait would become more irregular. And it would literally become impaired. And so I thought, okay, let's let's train these people at a level of intensity that is associated with a really good gait. And let's avoid for for initially for a while, let's avoid training at a heart rate that promotes uh, a gait that's impaired. Obviously, that's you know when you look at somebody and their gait is irregular you have to think something's wrong here. And if you do something and their gait becomes regular, then you should be really happy and the runner should be happy because uh, something is now working really well. Everything, the body is working really well because when everything works well, the gait is in pretty good shape. Mm. So um, I did that for a long time and basically assigned each athlete I worked with a training heart rate and, um, and, and, uh, to make a long story short, um, someone at a lecture asked me what, you know, how could they do that? And I I didn't have an answer. Um, and, and after that, I started thinking, well, there must be a simple mathematical relationship because, you know, this is all, it's all numbers. and sure enough, uh, I, I, I was able to find that 180 formula. Um, again, another long story short, but um, that brought me the same number as I came up with in my clinical evaluations. Mm. Wow. Okay. So you just reminded me of something I haven't thought about. I remember an article that was done. I want to say New York Times or something like that, where they interviewed the doctor who originally came up with the first um, – the 220, what, what most people think of, 220 minus your age, and there maybe five zones, and the top one is red, and they interviewed the doctor who came up with it, and he was like, well, we joke about it all the time, because we never intended this to be used for fitness purposes. We were looking at something completely unrelated, and so it, it, it's it's so interesting. When I was training in that way, using my heart rate monitor, I would see these, you know, the orange and the red zones where my heart rate could be at max or, you know, highly anaerobic. And the goal back then was to like, get, get your heart rate up there and stay up there as long as you can train hard, train fast, take the hour long class, breathing hard, sweating hard. You're a mess in the gym and people get hurt and they get burned out and overtrained. And what you're talking about is taking 180 minus your age and hang out in that area to build efficiency. Is that correct? Exactly. That that's that's correct. We're we're talking about metabolic efficiency in particular. But as we become metabolically more efficient, our gait um, stays uh, stays good, stays balanced. Muscles remain balanced, um, and and if we get above that level, uh, our metabolism changes and our gait changes, and our metabolism, of course, changes by um, shifting from um, m- more fat burning to less fat burning, from less sugar burning to more sugar burning, and that's a 
that's a very stressful condition. It's a condition that many athletes need to get themselves into, but not before they build their aerobic system to support that that training, uh, that stressful training mechanism. Um, humans have, you know, from the beginning, humans have been high high fat burners. That's where our energy came from. Babies, when they're born, they're they're big fat burners. They they burn so much fat, their 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 um you know their production of ketones is huge. That's right. And so um that's what we want to do with our metabolic efficiency. We wanna we wanna train it to be a really good fat burning metabolism. <clears throat> and and what training is all about is helping the nerve helping the the metabolism via the nervous system um uh do that and it's 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 really pretty simple what's in the way is is this social thing called no pain no gain and it, you know if you're starting out for the first time uh at whatever age uh exercising man you just want to sprint you want to lift the heaviest weights you can possibly lift because man that's no pain no gain yep that's of right of course that's how you get hurt very quickly and you put your weights away or you put your you know start putting your clothes on your your stationary uh equipment instead of using it and you, you never go back to it it's really a sad uh society that has created all these um problems that um that make it so that humans are no longer metabolically efficient and as a result they accumulate more and more body fat and of course <clears throat> we're we're seeing that excess body fat called overfat we're seeing that in uh not just amateur athletes in all sports but in the pros as well mm. i mean just go to a go to a you know, a low, uh, maybe maybe they don't have them yet uh, these days. I don't know what's going on out there, but go to our local road race. Go to a local triathlon and, and check out the competitors. And you, you, I guarantee you, you'll be shocked. All sizes, all shapes and sizes. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Okay, so you are using one of my favorite terms, <clears throat> metabolic efficiency. I could talk about metabolic efficiency for hours and hours metabolic was in my job title for over a decade. And I was fortunate enough to be able to use metabolic carts. So we've talked a bit about this in the past, but a metabolic cart basically for the listener is you would come in and I would hook you up to a mask. The mask would have an umbilical cable that would run into a computer little machine and we would analyze your breathing. And through analyzing your breathing, we could find out how many calories you were burning, um, which can be kind of important, but also how much fat versus how much carbohydrate you're burning, which I think is way more important to know and to validate. And on, the, on our report that we would print out, one page would show somebody their zones based on how well they were burning fat versus burning sugar, where those boundaries were as far as heart rate goes, also you know, power, or what we call workload. It's the speed that you're going. It's the amount of work that you're actually physically doing. And then there would be another page, and this page would show you how much sugar a human can store. And it would be different between men and women because sugar storage is very limited. You can only store in the liver or the muscles, basically. And then there would be a number that would show the person, based on their weight and their body fat percentage, how much fat, fuel, in calories they had in their body. And this is where you could really get somebody's attention when they saw that the sugar they can store was 2,000 calories, but the fat they, they are currently storing based on their weight and body fat percentage could be 80,000, 150,000, 250,000, just depending on how much fat they had in the body. And people don't realize like that is fuel. Why would you not train yourself to use that as your primary fuel source? It's there already anyway. Yeah. And so you've done, you've done MAF in the gym, um, which early on when I started going to uh, athletic clubs uh, and and uh, universities that had a metabolic cart, they said, well, this is really great. You know, this your athlete that you brought in is really doing well, but we can't do it with a team or we can't do it with a group of, of people. And, and I kept saying, well, why not? 
And you know, you you mentioned calories, and I I, I love doing this. I don't I don't um, I'm not obnoxious when I do it, but I can't help when when somebody says they're burning calories, or the, if they do this, they're going to burn more calories, or if they go on a longer run, or if they're training at a higher heart rate, they're going to burn more calories. And I just have to stop them and say, calories of what? Yep. And of course, I don't make a lot of friends that way because, <laughs> because people get offended. They don't have the answer. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to make fun of them. I'm not trying to, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to make a very important point is that we talk about calories, but we don't talk about the calories of fat and the calories of sugar in a way that can help us. We want to burn more calories of fat. That's right. It's the same thing and, when somebody says they want to lose weight. Well, no, you don't. You want to lose yeah. fat. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, you know, I think that, I think that's finally coming around. People are, are sort of understanding that, but still weight loss is still the big thing in, in the world. You know, everybody wants to lose weight. I've had, I've had people lose two inches on their waist and, and, uh, and essentially nothing on the scale and they became depressed and they said, this is not working. This is not what I wanted you to help me with. You know, they got really upset uh, because they were not losing weight. And, and as much as you explain the weight, as much as you explain the burning fat calories versus uh, sugar calories, um, you know, we're, we're, we're all taught bad stuff from an early age, from our, uh, from our gym teachers, from our, uh, uh, you know, the sports announcers on, on TV, you know, there's big Joe playing hurt. He's tough. You know, a 10 year old hearing that wants to be hurt. He wants to be taped up. Yep. What a sad, um, society we have. Yep created and of course a very a very sick world but you have you have done some great things with uh the metabolic card basically just showing people the numbers just saying here it is and i i did the same thing early in practice where i would print out reports make these elaborate reports for people and um it was it was helpful um and and so you you you're able to basically take MAF and in its purest sense, which is it's the way to personalize health and fitness, and you're able to do that with um, a, a group of people in in a gym. I mean that's just um, a wonderful thing because uh, it's it's it, it's hard enough when you have one person and you're trying to get them to understand that they're not like everybody else and we need to personalize a program for you and you can't work out with, with, you know, so-and-so out on the roads running because you're probably going to be running at a different pace because you're, you know, that reflects your, your, your individuality. And um, you know, it's not, don't, don't, don't think exercise is, is purely a social thing. It's really, you know that's what's sad is that the surveys show uh, when they ask uh, when they ask people why they join gyms, the surveys show that the number one reason is for social reasons, and um, it's really sad. And you and so you've taken it to this whole other level uh, where gyms usually don't go. In fact, gyms would would rather you stay home. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. If all the people came to the gym who were members, there'd be no room. They wouldn't physically be able to fit into the gym. <laughs> That's right. That's the whole business model. That's exactly what it's yes. made from. Yeah, with yes. the metabolic carts, it was really interesting to see it evolve over time because when I started using them, this is 2007, we were looking at like VO2 and, you know, train harder and that will go up and, you know, gee whiz, that's fine. And we were looking at anaerobic thresholds. We weren't really considering the fat burning all that much. And that kind of evolved and we started looking 
looking at, okay, well, what is base training? What's an aerobic base? Why is that important? How do we increase that? Basically like increasing the fat burning on somebody. And it wasn't even until 2012 when I was introduced to Bob Sibahar. He's a metabolic coach out of Colorado. He wrote the book, Metabolic Efficiency Training. We did a call with him and he talked about how he was training his athletes you know, world-class Ironman triathletes and they were eating cream and butter and sometimes they'd have bacon. And I was like, mind is blowing up. What are you talking about? You can't be an endurance athlete without eating 300 grams of carbohydrate while you're on the bike. That's absurd. Like you're going to bonk for sure. And it completely changed the paradigm. So different than the way I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's catching on. It's, it's been, um, you know, it's been one of those things where way, way back in the seventies for me, um, and through the eighties and into the nineties, it was, what are you crazy? And then after a while it became, oh yeah, everybody knows that. Yeah. (laughs) Right. It seems so obvious now, but yeah, I definitely took a lot of kicking and screaming for me to understand that. But one of the interesting things, again, I was fortunate to spend all those years validating, you know, fat burning and getting exact numbers. I could tell you exactly how many calories per hour at a certain heart rate you would burn from fat versus from carbohydrate. How can we improve that? Um, How can we increase your workloads at those certain heart rates? But there were, there were some interesting things that I noticed after doing so many of them. And one was that the, the heart rate zones and your fat burning seem to line up really well with what we call RPE or rate of perceived exertion. How hard do you think you're working at this given workload? And that's subjective, but for the most part, most people would be burning fat when they were at about a five out of 10 for difficulty. Some are right in the middle. And then also more often than not, I have to say those heart rates that I saw on those people lined up so well with your formula that you had come up with without even using a cart. That blows my mind. That's so cool. Yeah. And, and something you just said, which is, you know, that they, that they improved. This is, this is really the purpose. Yeah. We want them, we, we want them to get healthier. We want, and, and people who are healthier have, um, and RAR, people who are healthier burn more fat than sugar, um, whether it's resting or, or during, during a workout. But, you know, the bottom line here is that people do get better. What that means is they lose body fat, their uh, various measures of health uh, improve, and they get faster at the same heart rate. Um, and sometimes we, you know, we, we, we go through all the, the numbers and we talk about the metabolic uh, changes that occur, the physiology of all this, uh, all, the, all the stuff that is really exciting uh, for you and me. And, and sometimes we forget to say to the, to the athlete, oh, yeah, by the way, you're also going to get faster at the same heart rate. And that's, a, you know, so it's basically, okay. Um, the idea of of training fast to race fast goes out the window because what we're saying is we want you to train slower to get fast. Yep, totally. And and it's and and they have to scratch their head on that. And and really, the only way they're truly convinced of it is when it actually happens to them. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay. It's so interesting too. Like I noticed, I noticed that it would work for pretty much everybody across the board. Like you could be 400 pounds or you could be a world-class athlete. And I just noticed that like those rules still apply. There may be some differences, but, but yeah, we want to see that your efficiency is coming up. We want to see that there's an increase in the amount of fat that your body is burning, which it stores very effectively. You have a lot of it. Most people want less of it to begin with. Um, and, and what we would, what we would do is, is, you know, if we ran the same protocol the second time, we would be able to see every single heartbeat and, and, you know, the efficiency and how much fat they were burning, but also what is the workload, which you're right. Like that's what people care about. They want to be able to win races because they're going faster. And we would show people, look, here's, you know, you did a three month training block. You were running at 140 beats per minute and your workload was 5.5 miles an hour. Well, now it's 6.1 at exactly the same heart rate. And you're burning more fat. Yeah. Yeah. And likewise for cyclists, their power goes up 
uh, uh, rowing uh, on a rowing machine, you, you'll see the power go up at the same heart rate. Um, it, it's all the same. <clears throat> it's all the same thing. And <clears throat> and then they often go from complaining that they're, they're training too slow to now complaining that they have to run too fast at the same heart rate, which is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's it's uh, you know in the in the very beginning for me. Um, and I started seeing, uh, athletes. I, I, you know, I was, I, I entered, uh, practice in the, the, the running boom era. Um, and, and really people in the very beginning came to see me because they were injured. Um, and I realized that the only way I could really take care of them was to find out what they're actually doing in training. And then I realized that, you know, it, it was the cause of their injury, not uh, because runner's knee uh, is is a genetic problem. So, but but the 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 very beginning, my whole th- thought process about heart rate was about fat burning, but it was it was to help people who needed to lose weight, mm. and it didn't take long for me to realize that. Um, in fact, I had some, I had some overweight people who wanted to walk and they did, they started walking and, and then they, they said they had to walk faster. I said, well, yeah, that's cause you're, you're losing weight so you can walk faster. And then I thought, no, that's not why they're walking faster. <laughs> so, um, I realized that this is, this is great for everybody and then the 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 application with um, uh, initially endurance athletes and eventually all kinds of athletes, all the athletes I worked with, which is virtually all sports, um, it was uh, applicable as well. That's great. Yeah, it's interesting too, especially with an athlete. I'll say with most anybody who's been conditioned in the you know calories in, calories out mentality of you know really hard workouts. I the, the pushback I would get would be very interesting. Like I I kind of slow people down, put them more their aerobic based kind of heart rates where they're working on efficiency and fat burning, and people would come up to me and complain and be like, "This is way too easy. I hate this. What's the point of this?" And it's like, okay, well, do you want a hard workout or do you want to burn fat? Those are not necessarily the same two things. And sure enough, if somebody would stick with it, you know, a few weeks, few months, they're losing fat. They feel really good. They're not getting injured and their, their endurance just goes up and up and up along with their speed and workloads. And that's, I I just, if anybody is listening and has done, you know, a 5k, 10k program and thought you were going to go out and burn all these calories and lose weight and, and were disappointed that you didn't lose any weight. And in fact, probably gain weight once the event was over, I really would encourage you to change your way of thinking and start to adapt these things. Is that something you've noticed as well? Oh yeah. I, you know, I, I'm going to do this program. I, I got to lose weight, blah, blah, blah. And they end up sure they get through the 5k. They're very happy. Congratulations. But now they they weigh more and they're exhausted or they're injured. Yep. If they even, you know, got to the starting line, many of them don't make it. Those are the ones I saw in the beginning. Um, and it's, it's really, you know, it's that no pain, no gain thing. Um, again, and it's interesting that in the last 20 years, the, the amateur running times have gotten worse and wow. worse. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, there's some good data, um, uh, and I, I can't remember his name, but I'll, 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 I always have to look it up, but there's, there's, uh, it, it's just sad, uh, to see that. Um, but it's, it's, it, it's the, the training part is the, the, the one part and then eating right is the other part. And that's, that's an equally complicated discussion with people as well, because, the entirety of of sports in our society is based from a food standpoint is based on carbohydrates mm. and and it becomes a very difficult thing to to have the discussion it's sort of like okay you know there's a metabolism and we burn both fat and sugar and you want to burn more fat oh you mean i have to slow down i have to train slow yes yes and you have to eat fat and not much carbohydrate Yep. That's right. And you were such an early adapter 
um, of that, that way of thinking. It's, it, it just took me so long to come to that conclusion, but you're right. Like if you're doing any kind of training and you're not eating, you know, enough protein and fat and you're, you know, doing what I was doing back when I was racing, just dumping gallons of gallons of, of Cytomax into my body, <laughs> eating five, six times a day. I needed a nap every day. Like if you're doing that, you're not going to increase your fat burning. You have to reduce the amount of carbohydrate and make sure that you're eating enough protein and fat. And if you just do nothing more than just eat real food, you'll probably get there. Don't you think? Man, it's just that simple. I, I don't know why people want to make it so complicated. Uh, you know, don't eat any junk food. Just eat natural food, and and you're you're there. And then depending on your age, you might have to modify some of the natural carbohydrates. Uh, but but you know for the most part, it's that simple. And you know you have to feed your aerobic system if you want to maximize aerobic function. You've got to train that system, train the aerobic system, and then you've got to feed the aerobic system with with the foods. Um, that are going to help it, which are proteins and fats. And of course, you you don't want to eat the foods that impair aerobic function, that impair fat burning, and that's the carbohydrates, and especially the refined carbohydrates, which is essentially almost all the carbohydrates that people eat. Yeah, that's right. And it's really, a, you know, the, the, the big, you know, it's, oh man, I, I, there's the big question of, you know, well, what are, uh, you know, refined carbohydrates. What is junk food? Um, and I always say, if you have to ask, you're probably eating it. Mm. Uh, we have become, as a society, so used to looking at packaging and having the the words on the package dictate whether that food is healthy or not. Mm. And it's it's really sad that, you know, it's like, I'm going to call the manufacturer and ask him if I, if this is good for me or not, Mm. come on. This is like, um, you know, it's like calling RJ Reynolds and asking if, if smoking is, is really as bad as they say it is. Um, it's just, it's just, you know, and, and we can't expect, uh, our, our health care, um, uh, system to to help us out here. We we can't have our insurance companies. We can't have the government, uh, which subsidizes junk food in the U.S. Uh, we can't have you know. We have to learn all this ourselves and take responsibility for for feeding our aerobic system. It's really as simple as that. I love that. We love to talk about simplicity on the show and making things as easy as possible. And I, I'm sure you agree with this. I just think most people are so conditioned to complex that they think that it has to be. This trainer selling this program, this other trainer selling all kinds of different wearable devices. You know, you have to be on this precise meal plan. And people ask, I'll, I'll ask people often, like, do you want a simple plan or do you want a complex plan? And everybody answers, oh my gosh, simple. My life is busy already. I need something really, really simple. And I'll tell them in two or three sentences what they should probably do. You should probably move. You probably want to eat real foods, focus on fats and proteins. Um, you know, sometimes lift heavy things really slowly and safely and you should be just fine. And I'll stop talking and almost always they'll, you can see their thinking and then they'll ask, well, what about fat burning supplement? This one. And like, uh, yeah, I mean <laughs> yeah. you can, but that's more complex. So if you want to, you can, oh, well, what about this lifting plan with all of these sets and reps built in? It's like people are so conditioned to complex. They almost can't get out of their own way when they want something very simple, which it can be. You're right. Yeah, the the response from me is off. You know, well, well, what about this? What about that? And you know, the response is really well. That's just a lot of hype. Yep. Well, what about that? Oh, that's just a lot of hype. And and in reality, using a heart monitor is hype too. But unfortunately, we have a society that can't handle it. They just cannot handle being a natural runner. I've met some natural runners. I've put heart monitors on some really great athletes and found that um, <clears throat> when I said, look, we're, we're gonna just go around the track and you um, you settle in at the pace you normally train at. And of course they're, you know, they're just breathing through their nose real easy and I'm huffing and puffing, but but they're 
they're training exactly at the heart rate I would prescribe for them. There's not many of those people. Mm. And as a result, we need a biofeedback tool, which is what the heart monitor is. And we need a logical uh, way to come up with a training intensity, a, a way to personalize that. And that's what the MAF heart rate is. And, and it's really, it's really that simple. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. And it's so um, interesting that you brought that up because in preparation for this interview, I, I, I've been not as diligent about wearing my heart rate monitor. So on Saturday on my bike ride, I decided to throw one on and just check out, you know, where my heart rate was. Cause I have, I haven't looked at it in a while and I've done this for many, many years now. I've used a heart rate monitor since 1998. Um, a very long time and use those metabolic carts and everything. And I was really surprised. Like I've been working on breathing and nose breathing recently. And so I thought I would be very close to my math heart rates. And there would be times where my heart rate would be 20, 30 points higher than what it needed to be. And I would have no idea, no idea. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have, we have, um, uh, days that vary with stress and those days, um, uh, we, we will, we will have a, slightly higher, sometimes we'll have a slightly higher resting heart rate, which means the stress has affected us significantly enough, uh, but often it will affect our training heart rate. And that's why we wear the heart monitor every day if we're serious, if, if, if we're not sure exactly what 137 heart rate feels like, which is kind of where we want to get to. Um, but like you say, sometimes we sort of lose track of that, but we want to, we, you know, we want to, we want to follow that variation from day to day. And then when we test ourselves using the MAF test to really see how much faster we're going or the, the GPS test, the MAF test, uh, using GPS where we, we are on a relatively for a runner and a biker, relatively flat course, and we can, uh, with the GPS accurately and the heart monitor accurately, uh, time whatever distance we 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 want um, to really make sure and and be able to measure that that progress. Um, and it's really sad because the, you know the histories I've taken from. From athletes, typically a runner will say, you know, yeah, well I trained for this. Um, you know, this 10K program and I, you know, I did this, I did that for six months. Um, and I just hoped, you know, when I got to the starting line, I was ready and I, I was disappointed or I was, you know, I finished and I was really happy, but I'm really hurt. Or um, the, the bottom line is that they were saying they really didn't know if they were making progress for six months. And sometimes it's a year. Wow. Yeah. I, I trained really hard for a year and I didn't, you know, I wasn't sure I was hoping on race day, you know, I, I want to know right away. And, and if you don't, if you don't see progress your first month, then, then you're doing something wrong. The program isn't wrong. You're doing something wrong. Mm. Um, if you're a human, uh, because this is how our metabolism is supposed to work. That's right. And that something can be you 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 weren't truthful with figuring out the the MAF heart rate, the one eighty formula. You weren't truthful. Well, yeah, I, I well, I yeah, I have an injury, but it's not really an injury, and all kinds of excuses. Um, or uh, as as uh, it is in most cases, you're eating way more junk food or refined carbohydrates than you think. Yep. Yep. That's exactly right. And really like in today's day and age, there's really not an excuse for not having a heart rate monitor because when you started with all of this, the heart rate monitors were very expensive, really bulky. I've heard you describe like getting the second one that you ever got. And it was like, wow, gee whiz, he's got two. So crazy. <laughs> but you know, we've <laughs> developed chest straps and I, I use a Scosche brand heart rate monitor that just sits on my arm, which is really, you know, convenient and easy. And you have a heart rate monitor too, that you've developed. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, they pick up the heart rate from uh, earbuds. Wow. And uh, which is a very accurate way and maybe a more accurate way than using a chest strap 
and for many people, a whole lot more convenient. And although I don't want people talking on the phone when they exercise, uh, a lot of people do. And so they could do that. They could also listen to music. I don't want them even listening to my music when they exercise, but they do. And so these earbuds are really, really uh, high quality earbuds. Um, I've used them with my music. They're really, they're really amazing. Mm. Um, I want people listening to their body when they work out. Yeah, that's. I such want a... people to to understand what's because it's our brains that that dictate the natural progression that that we have with 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 training and with um with with diet too you know what 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 should i eat today how much should i eat today there's kind of a natural the brain oversees all that but a lot of people don't yet have that ability to um uh to do that and uh can can most people uh develop their aerobic system really well and at some point uh give up the heart rate monitor uh, your story was a really good one, compelling one that, you know, maybe not, uh, we're, we're sort of stuck in this society where we, we were influenced by way too many things. Mm. You know, it's, it's like Einstein saying, as soon as you observe, um, an activity, it changes. Mm. Um, when you're out there on the road and a car goes by, you change, you might not think so, but you do. Mm. You know people are looking at you. And when people are looking at you, you're going to do something different. Mm. Yeah, um, love that. Well, yeah, well, I, on that particular ride, and yes, I, I would say up until two days ago, if you would asked me if you could train by feel, I would have said absolutely you can. And I was dead wrong about that. But I did have a head... I headphone in. I was listening to your music, which is great, by the way. I love this story. Can you tell us how you got into music to begin with? Uh, sure. I was always a big consumer of music. You know, I grew up in the 60s. And of course, um, the music of the 60s was what life was all about. Um, and and that, that continued uh, with the music of the 70s and 80s and so on and so forth. Um, and in 2002, I woke up, uh, one day as a songwriter, I just had this intense passion to be a songwriter. I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't really, you know, to graduate the sixties, you had to know three chords on a guitar. And so I, I knew that, um, but I didn't really play. I didn't really, I didn't know anything about writing. I didn't know anything about music theory. But the passion, the, the intensity of that passion was so strong that I, I just couldn't let go. And, um, and I got a call a few days later from this guy, Rick Rubin, who's a big time producer. And he said, I, I read one of your books and I want to consult with you. And I had just realized that if I'm going to be a songwriter, I'm going to I'm going to have to put my career on hold. And I did. Wow. And so I was telling him this and we laughed and, <clears throat> and we decided that he would help me with songwriting. I would help him with his health and I would eventually move to LA and be there for four and a half years, uh, focusing intensely on music. Um, and being the fly on the wall, working with Rick, uh, not just with my own music, but with, the the many people he's worked with and um and that continues i'm i'm still in touch with rick and i'm still writing i just released my eighth album uh in january uh called outlier it's very um, good it's very good i have to say you did a really nice job thank you thank you um <clears throat> outlier is sort of i don't know you know people sometimes name their albums after the maybe the the key song you know like why wait for heaven is the first really big song on the album and i thought well that'd be a good name and then you know i i just i always liked the name outlier and i've always sort of thought of myself as an outlier 
Um, when you look at data, you see all these points, they're all kind of bunched up in the middle together. And well, there's, there's these points on the outer edge that are called outliers. And um, I always saw myself that way. And so I thought, yeah, that's, that's the name of the album. Mm, I love that. So it is. And it's really, it, you know, it's, um, it, it's been fun. It's been, um, you know, and I eventually got back into health and fitness stuff, uh, uh, several years later and, and, and really I'm, I'm, I, I do well with COVID, I'm not doing as much, but I'm hoping to get my tour started. <clears throat> uh, the two actually that I missed in, the, in this last year, um, I'll, I'll start touring again in the summer. Um, but I do a lot of, uh, I also I do a lot of lectures or, or was doing a lot of lectures and I'm, often doing crossovers. So I've got a music in the brain lecture where <clears throat> I talk about, you know, how, how can music help us have a better brain? And then I throw in some nutrition uh, as part of that. And, um, wow. And people really like that. That's amazing. That's amazing. Outliers is a great title and yes, you're definitely an outlier, but you are, <laughs> you're an example. You're an example of somebody who is thriving and has a really interesting life, living their passion, many passions and having fun with it all and educating and helping and serving people. It's really an amazing mix. And I, I, I just, I think so many people are working a job they hate. They, they don't take enough time for themselves because they're not following a passion and they're working, working, working towards retirement. And I used to save a lot for my retirement. And the more I do this, the more I'm thinking like, wait a second, I love doing this. I, why would I want to retire from this? I would want to do this for the rest of my life in some capacity. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I get, I, I get annoyed inside. I, I don't, I don't tell people they're annoying me, but when they say, are you retired now? Um, or sometimes they just say you're retired, right? I, I it's so annoying. <laughs> I, I can't even conceive of, of retirement. Why would, why would somebody want to retire? That's, right. That's a death sentence. <laughs> I mean, you know, you could you could leave one job or one career and and you know be ready and willing to jump into another one. Uh, and if you don't have another one, th that's a problem. Mm. And so, I mean, we you know th this this gets us to the topic of stress, which is a whole another show. But um, you know, the, these stress factors are are real and common. And again, it's a it's a social thing. You know, we all. Uh, we all grow up thinking, okay, well, we're going to get a job that has benefits and we're going to have retirement savings and then we're going to, you know, collect social security and retirement. And, you know, then what? That's right. You know, then what? And it's, 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 it's sad because nobody's come up with a, you know, in the social world, uh, uh you know, here's what you do. Uh, do you go to, uh, you know, uh, 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 O fifty five community and and kind of jump around in a pool um, three times a week is that what retirement is? Um, there's just so much to do mm. that that's you know I, I I just I encourage people to to follow their passions because um, if we're not doing it we're not being true to ourselves. I love that. That's such such great advice. And you you have a seemingly really particular skill in allowing life to live through you and, and have things come to you. It's not like you sat down and wanted to create a system to train endurance athletes. There was, there was almost like a Taoist allowance of letting those things come to you. Um, it's part of a, one of my new favorite books, green lights by Matthew McConaughey, when he talks about, you know, the, the spider waits in the web for the food. Sometimes it's not always out seeking it's, it's allowing, can you give kind of the listener a little bit of insight on how you've been able to allow those things to come into your life when they need to? Yeah. Um, gosh, I learned that in the sixties too. Um, it, it, it's, it's, <clears throat> it's a philosophy. It's a, it's a, it's a meditation in life. Um, I don't, 
stop what I'm doing and start meditating. I meditate whenever I have a moment to meditate. And it could, it, it could turn into a lot of moments. Uh, I could be in the middle of an article or in the middle of writing a song and I'll be meditating. Um, so it's, it's, it's allowing your body, it's allowing your brain really to control the body and, and, and take you to all these wonderful places. And I would often say to patients, um, you know, I'd explain what went wrong, how their knees started hurting or how their, uh, how they got to be so exhausted, uh, all the physiology and the nutrition stuff. And, and, you know, they want to know, well, is it going to be better? Like right away? How, you know, I said, well, you have to let it get better. It will get better, but let it get better. Don't, don't, don't analyze every minute. Uh, cause then you're not letting your brain do its job. Um, so, l- l- you know, let your life unfold. There's a lot to, there's just a lot to it and let it happen. Mm-hmm. And, and that's always been my, and with songwriting, it's, it's especially when I teach songwriting, uh, in particular, I, I, I emphasize that you don't say, let's see what, what, what song can I write about today? Maybe I'll write a song about the birds. You know, no, that's not how songwriters work. Um, Songwriters let the songs come out. They just come out. And I don't say I'm going to write a country song now. I'm going to write a, a, you know, a folky song. Whatever comes out, I let it happen. And it, it can take a while. It doesn't usually take a while. It takes a while to really make the song what you want but it just takes a few minutes to come out but you want to let that song evolve and let it mature and let it eventually let it be recorded that's beautiful Um, that's the way the rest of life should work that's beautiful one of my favorite stories and something I have to remind myself of all the time is the dude that's on the beach and he's deciding which waves he likes and which waves he doesn't like. And so when there's a wave that he doesn't like, he runs in the water and tries to push the wave away. And finally, after a lifetime of doing that, he sits on the beach and just watches the waves come in and out. (laughs) (laughs) I have to remind myself of that constantly. Nice. Yes. Yes. No need to fight. Man, what an, what an amazing conversation. No surprise that there's a lot of gems, a lot of wisdom in speaking with you. What is one simple thing that you would want the listener to take away from this conversation and apply into their life? Uh, we touched on it, and it's to have fun. It's not that complicated. It's, it's really, really simple. Um, sometimes we don't see the simple, but, but whatever we do to get there, we want to have fun all along the way. It, it can be hard work, uh, without a doubt, but don't forget to have fun. Love it. This conversation has been super fun and, and a real honor for me. Where would you like people to go to connect with you and find your work? Well, my, my music website is maffetonemusic.com. And all of my music for, if you join, it's free to join. All of my music is uh, free for members. Um, All eight albums and a bunch of singles uh, that are there. And uh, for all the health and fitness, uh, there's a good, I'm told there's 400 articles there now uh, on philmaffetone.com. That's all the health and fitness stuff. Um, And... uh, my books are out there, um, but you know, there's so much information on the website that's free, and um, uh, you won't you won't run out of you, you won't you you'll see so much stuff. It'll seem like it's confusing and and intense, but it's really pretty simple. It is, and. Boy, you're right. The the resources there are vast. And you mentioned free, just the free ebook. It's a 57 page ebook that explains things really well, but also makes it very simple. Why you decided to make that free, I have no idea because that is a massively valuable resource. I'm just so grateful for you that you would do that, that you would offer that. And I would highly, highly, highly encourage our listeners to go over there, sign up, download that ebook. There's so much amazing wisdom and and gems of information there that can really help people. 
Dr. Phil Mathitone. Uh, and if they if they want to buy something, go buy the, the the Get Strong book because that's one of my favorite books. It's such an important thing for people, Man. especially endurance athletes. Man. And yeah, we didn't even really get to touch on that as much as I would have liked to today anyway. We'd be honored if you would ever want to come back and we can talk about um, your book. Um, um, let's see, Get Strong, is that correct? get strong yep. yeah that's yep. a, sure that'd be fun that'd yeah. be fun that was a, that was a great project i think we both subscribe to the same kind of theory as far as um strength training goes right where it's kind of done at a slower pace and you don't need to do massive workouts all day every day it's just about being really smart and moving the weight so, so you avoid simple, injury yeah simple easy no pain uh but a lot of strength yeah. in fact you only have to do one thing you just have to pick up a weight and squat down that's the only thing you have to do to get full body strength. What a deal. I love it. <laughs> I love it. That's great. Oh, it's so awesome. Dr. Phil Maffetone, thank you so much for appearing on our show. We are very grateful for you and all your work. And um, thank you for coming on. Thanks, Casey. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio. <laughs> <laughs>